look at you guys. You know how to worship the Lord. Welcome. Happy National Back to Church Sunday to you. Bear with me. It's a little sore. Um, we have a couple things. You may be seated, first and foremost. Those of you who have pre-ordered a... Um, a food truck voucher at the end of service, we will release you first. So if you have done that, raise your hand. So you know that I know that you're talking about, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, all of you. And if you don't have the physical copy, please come see me. She will need that. But you will be released first. Everyone who has not yet purchased a food truck voucher at the end of service, you will be released afterwards, and you will actually pay for it with the, the actual food truck owner. Um, at this time... The, the, today is exciting for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, of course, it's National Back to Church Sunday, and we also started our brand new Christian education series, Inside Out, this morning at 9.30. I encourage you to, uh, to join us in that. Pastor Keith gave a great teaching on fear, and we are all no longer afraid. So you're going to want to be a part of that uh, every, every Sunday morning at 9.30. But we are also beginning a new sermon series, and um, I'm actually going to go ahead and preach it. So open up your Bibles. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Pastor John, I told Pastor John um, while I'm up here, I'm going to catch the anointing and he's just going to have to wait till next week. But um, we're starting a brand new sermon series. He has been stoked and thrilled. He's been talking about it to us for the last six, seven, eight, 12 weeks. And he is crazy, crazy excited about it. So can we welcome him as he begins? I kind of want to think, try to imagine what crazy excited is. <laughs> Thank you, Brianna. We have a great day planned, and we're so glad that you're here this morning. It's good to see everybody come to Back to Church Sunday. I know somebody scratches their head and goes, what is Back to Church Sunday? I, I've always been here. But it's kind of a different system of operating maybe in the summer, some of uh, our people have been on vacation, and that's okay, but it's just going to get back in the system of doing church, being together, loving one another. Man, wasn't it a great worship time today? You know, today is the day. You know, uh, this morning, I invited a lot of my friends, and they invited a lot of friends, and I'm so honored to have all the people here. I, I kind of It's kind of a flash from the past. I, I, I grew up in a church, and just as a little boy, the, the pastors... Uh, that were at that church in Fort Madison, Iowa. The pastor's wife is here this morning, Sharon Buck. And, and let me tell you, when, when, you know, back then it wasn't Sharon Buck. I kind of don't feel disrespectful saying Sharon. You know, it's Sister Buck, you know, back then. And, and uh, just, just the thought of having all my friends from the past, and now they're not just old friends, but they're young friends that are here this morning to be with us. You know, as, as life goes on, it, it's kind of amazing. Last week we talked about getting the crud out and, and talking about the parable of the sower and how the thorns grow up and choke out the Word of God, making it not fruitful. See, the Word of God, the, the seed is incorruptible. It means that it's good seed. The soil is good. It's going to produce. But it's the things in our life that tend to choke out. And then we say, you know, real, the Word of God doesn't work anymore. And we talked about the capacity that we have as people and all the things that are in our capacity. You know, we, we have, you know, the, the new this, new that, and pretty soon we don't have enough of this and enough of that for God. Even though a lot of us would say that God is number one and He is number one and He's number priority one, really when we look at what's in our capacity, he, He's not number one. And, and so as we start this new series entitled 
destiny by design, I want you to realize that our God has some things in the Word of God for us. You know, as, as we go through life, and this year we kind of tagged it the journey, and as we go through the journey of our life, and we, we go through seasons in our life, again, I just want to bring back to our remembrance that it's so important for the Word of God to transform our lives. Now, now this doesn't happen overnight. You know, a lot of times people want to just have somebody lay their hands on stupid thinking, you know, and it changes like that. But it, it's a transformation. It's a process. When the Word of God gets in our life, and maybe you have a kind of can relate to this, that you say, Pastor, man, I have changed from where I was, you know, maybe a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. That, that the things in my life have changed because, and as we've talked, the Word of God, and I even have it up here on this banner, that the Word of God changes our thinking. And when our thinking changes, it's an amazing process that our emotions begin to change. You know, you know some of the, the times that we have to realize that maybe we need a little tweaking in that area is on the highway. Especially I-35 during rush hour, you know what I mean? Can I get a witness? Yeah, yeah. So you need a tweaking too, I see. Our emotions change and then our choices, because our thinking has changed, then our emotions, then our choices, and then when our choices change, it changes our habits, and our habits, our character, our character, our destiny. And a lot of times people don't like where their destiny is right now, so they, they back up and they have to realize, what are you thinking? And, and when you look at your capacity and you look at all the things in your life, and we talked about the things that we need to get out of our life in order to have more capacity for God. Now this morning I'm going to talk and we're going to start talking about destiny and our destiny by design that God has a plan for us. And it's a good plan. It's not a plan to harm us, but it's to give us a future, hope in our future. Anybody want a little hope in your future? If you lose hope in your future, all of a sudden depression sets in and you're like, you know, I don't even like getting up in the morning and then people tag it as depression and we go, you know... But this morning, I want us to get to the realization that we as Christians are the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and it brings flavor. People ought to be able to go, you know, this, this work group that we're in, it's just not real exciting. If we just had a Christian, if a Christian could be in our group, man, I don't know about them. They're just, they're just full of light. They smell good. <laughs> this morning, double barrel shotgun here. Febreze. You know, when I told my wife, she said, don't get it on anybody, John. Don't get it on anybody. But there's something about being someone that just comes into the room and starts <coughs> start smelling good. You know what I mean? You just, you just, there's, there's something about someone that just smells good in their spirit. This morning, we're going to be talking about the Word of God and how it makes us smell good. I think I took a bath in Febreze. <laughs> they turned off the air conditions and they kept them on back here and it blew right back home. This morning, when we hear something like the golden rule, can, can you tell me what the golden rule is? Do unto others as you would have them do. Yeah, I see some of you. <laughs> Say it again, do unto others as you, as you would have them do unto you. 
Now, there's something about this that, you know, people might have not even been in church, but your family might have raised you to follow this rule, and you, you weren't even to the point where you realized it's in the Bible, that it's something that God, you know, asks us to do as believers. If, if you're followers of Jesus Christ, this is, this is our mode of operation. But you know what I found out is this is great. This is what we want to do. This is what we want everybody to do to us until someone doesn't know this or chooses not to follow it. Anybody with me on that? As soon as they hurt me, we kind of change the wording around. And it kind of goes like this. Do unto others as they have done unto you. There's something... It just feels right as rain. You know what I mean? When, when somebody hurts you to burn, it kind of in your flesh, and you just you kind of scheme on how you're going to get even with them. See, that, that's why we know that the Word of God changes our thinking because in our own natural ability, all we can think about, sometimes all we meditate on, all we're consumed with is just how we're going to get even. I, I think that there's another thing that when somebody hurts us and we really can't hurt them back, you know what I mean? That, that it, it, it's almost like it, it comes out in another way that we go and we try to hurt somebody else. Because we can't hurt the person that hurt us, but, you know, by golly, we're going to hurt somebody. Because I've been hurt. And I think that there's even a place where there's an environment that we've been hurt in and we can't return that hurt to that environment, but we go somewhere else in another environment and we can hurt in that environment. Let me give you a quick example. I know you're following me on this, tracking me. But but say, for example, you're hurt at work and you really can't hurt whoever it is at work that hurts you, that environment, that boss or whatever, and you go home and that poor dog or that cat's right there. Everybody's, oh. Or maybe your wife or your husband your children. And we begin to act out, do unto others as they have done unto you. And then there's something wrong with this, and, and we, we know it down deep inside, but, but really when you think about it, when we, when someone that we don't like that has hurt us, come on, we, we really begin to aspire to be like them. To, to get even, to be just like them and get them back even. There's something wrong with that. When you really think about it, isn't it kind of crazy that someone can actually push our button and act, have us act in a certain way? We all know that. But why is it that we begin to act just like the person we don't like? Now, let me think about this, and, and then, or let me tell you what I've been thinking about. In, in other areas of our life, we strive to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths. You know, we want, we want to compete with whoever and get better and more and more. But in this area, we, we just want to get even. Now, now, quickly going through the message this morning, I want to tell you a story. And hopefully when we're done, you can take off your shoes and kick out the sand. In other words, I want to put you right in the story. And I want you to see as we're kind of in this time period of talking about our emotions and how that plays out in different circumstances and especially today in the golden rule, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 
There's three characters in the story, major characters, and then there's always some minor characters. The three major characters are David, Nabal, and his wife Abigail. Now, some of you have grown up in the church and you're already going there and back and you think that you know what I'm going to speak, but I want you to stay focused because I'm believing that the Holy Spirit, as I pray over every message, that He would customize this for your own life. You go, Pastor, thank you so much. Because I know that a lot of times people will come up to me and say, man, what you preached on, da-da-da-da, that's... And I look at them and I think, I didn't even preach that. But what they heard, the Holy Spirit customized exactly for their life at that moment. So 1 Samuel chapter 25 tells us a story that here's David. And Samuel, his mentor, the, the prophet that is anointing, has passed away. David has already killed Goliath as a young man. He's risen in fame of being just a local hero of killing a bear and a lion to an international known figure. And he goes to the palace. He's in the palace with the king Saul and all the things. But Saul has grown jealous and now is out to kill him and he's pursuing him. The army of select soldiers are out to get David. Well, the, the, the situation that we're going to talk about today is David has collected all these misfits all these other men that are in trouble to the, to the amount of 600 plus their families. And it's in a place called the Desert of Paran. And in verse 2 it says, A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. So I want to give you some adjectives to describe in adverbs of how this is going on. Okay, This man is described, first of all, as very wealthy. He has a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. What? Three thousand sheep? Just seeing if you're sticking with me. All right, here we go. Which he was shearing in Carmel. If you're a rancher, you know this is like harvest time for you. The, the, you know, if you're a farmer, you go out and pick the crops and woohoo. But if you're a rancher, this is harvest, the shearing time for the shepherd. His name was Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman. Not too bad of characteristics, huh, ladies? Huh, gentlemen? Glory! Intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. He was surly, salty. He was always cantankerous a little. You know what I mean? I don't know if his voice was high, but he was not very attractive kind of guy. Definitely small town, a lot of money, got Abigail, somehow, some way. But verse 4, it says, While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, and he sent ten young men. Now, there's something about you need to focus, because when you read this quick, you miss some of these points. But ten young men, ten young men. I don't know why David didn't send five young men and five veterans, older guys, but he sends ten young men and said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, I love this because he's given them exactly what to do. I don't know if you can do it, so let me tell you exactly what you do. Sometimes my wife says that. This is what I want you to say. I'm a grown man. I know what to say. Moving along. 
Thank you for that amen. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time, and when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were in Carmel, nothing others was missing. Now again, David, through these young men, are giving a message and really saying, we've been following the golden rule. We have done unto you as we now want you to do unto us. Then he has the ask. Here it is. Ask your own servants and they will tell you, therefore be favorable towards my men. David's given this message through these ten young men to Nabal. And say, since we've come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Since we were kind to you, in other words, we didn't steal, we didn't take from you, we protected you. What he's saying is, would you be generous to us? Just give us some food. This is a great time. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal the message in David's name. Then... They waited. Now watch this, because this is very important. They wait for the reply, the reaction to come back. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men, let me remind you, David's young men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. At this point, the music is beginning to change in the soundtrack. And you see the close-up of David's face. And those young men are going, let me tell you everything, even with the attitude he had. And David said to each of his men, Strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, just to remind you, these guys are bad, bad boys. I mean, they are tough soldiers of David's. These guys will eventually become his special forces when he becomes king later on. When he becomes in, in tough situations, these guys are the loyal guys that went to him in the wilderness. So the soundtrack begins to Nabal. Bad, bad boys, what are they going to do when they come for you? So here is David and his men, 400 men, and they're coming towards Nabal's house, and they're all partying, they're celebrating. And it says, one of the servants, one of the servants of Nabal, tells Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greeting, but he hurled insults at him. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now, now think it over. Now, now again, this applies to us. The servant is going, think it over, Abigail. 
and see what you can do. When we're in a situation like this where emotions begin to... We need to think what we can do. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master in his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Now look what happens. Here's what we're looking at as believers and part of our church, as part of our church, as you are part of our church. What is our goal? Look, Abigail acts quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of I love this detail. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five cents of roasted grain, which is about 60 pounds, 100 cakes of raisin, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. I mean, I'm wondering if there's a banquet going on out there, and she goes in the kitchen and goes, get that, get that, get that, get that, get that, let's go. Then she told her servants, go ahead, and I'll follow. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Very, did, you, did you know the description of Abigail? Intelligent and beautiful. As she comes riding her donkey, uh, let me see this. It says, as she came riding her donkey down a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. So, so here comes David and his 400 men snaking down into the, the valley where the sheep probably grazed and where they're having this party, this fest area. Look at the scene. Here you have a group of men that are mad because they're disappointed. Now, now, as we're talking about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, and a lot of times it gets into doing unto others as they have done unto you, you see that disappointment plays such an important part. So I want you to remember this. A lot of times when we get into a place where, where we begin to get emotional, it's because we expected something and those expectations were different than what we thought. That leads into disappointment. Which leads into offense. Which causes us sometimes to react. No matter the situation, never let your emotions overpower your intelligence. David had just said... It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness that so nothing was missing. He, talking about Nabal, has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, he's talking about himself, be it ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male over all who belong to him. Now let me say this again. What we're talking about is 400 men that, that I, I don't know if I can even just say how tough they are. Later on in the Bible, David and these men are in battle, are going to go in battle. They come home to their, their home city and it's burnt and the group of men are called the Amalekites. They're a whole army that has come down while all the men are at battle and they've really... Rape, pillaged, and burned the whole area. They stole all of David's men's stuff, their wives, their children, and they've taken them off. These 400 men have traveled for 
miles. They're exhausted, but they continue to pursue these Amalekites. And it says that when they find them, after all these days of journeying, they begin to battle with these Amalekites, and they battle for 24 hours. Can you imagine 24 hours in battle? And it said at the end of the 24 hours that nobody in the Amalekites' army survived except 400 young men that escaped on camels. Now, now when I read that the first time, I went, what, what, what now? David only has 400 men, and they fight for 24 hours, and 400 young men escape like scalded apes because, get out of here! David's men are going to wreak havoc on Nabal and his household. 400 men. Let me remind you that the series that we begin today is called Destiny by Design. David is about to play out a choice that will affect him. See, a lot of times we'll make choices that we think just one choice isn't going to do anything in my life, but it's a ripple effect that has percussions that will follow us the rest of our life. Again, no matter the situation, never let your emotions overpower your intelligence. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Here's what I want you to see. This is a very intelligent woman. She is a lady that is going to demonstrate what a characteristic is, what I want you to put in your capacity. This is something of a trait that Christians need to possess in their life to be able to come up a notch. Listen to Abigail. She begins to speak to David like the man she hopes he will become. How many know that encouragement goes a long way? David is a hungry man, not just physically, but in his soul. And here comes a lady that's going to actually say things that he's going to go, oh, it tastes so good. Remember that God has a plans. He has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, but to give us hope in the future. And so here's Abigail, and she begins to, begins to speak into his life. It says that she falls at his feet and says, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay attention, pay no attention to my Lord, that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not know. I did not see the men, Lord, that you sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives... And as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who attend on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Isn't it amazing that she is speaking into his life things that he's going, oh yeah, well of course. Now women, you do this so well. And even though we know as men what you're doing, we still do it. Oh, but you could take that trash out, honey, with one arm. Yes, I can. Watch out, Missy. I'll take that right out. Look at that. One arm. 
I can't unlock this door. Give me that, sister. <laughs> right there. She begins to she begins to speak. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. He's not even king yet. Because you fight the Lord's battle. And no wrong, it's like a Jedi mind trick. You will not do what you came to do. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you, which is Saul. Everybody knew that. The king of the country is pursuing him. And here's Abigail speaking this into his life. Even though someone is pursuing you to, to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. What? what do what? If you look at the original text, what that means is when somebody had something of value, they put it in a purse or a wallet and then they would bind it securely and put it in their belt securely so that nothing would happen to it. And that's what she's saying. Your life is secure in God. Because He has a plan for you, David. But the lives of your enemies, will He will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Word association. He goes back in time when he's 15 years old and he's looking at Goliath. A sling. Isn't it great how she can use that word association and bringing back to a time period in his life when he had to rely on God and not on himself to make those decisions of, I'll go down and kill him. And that's where he's at right now. Now listen to what she says. This is what I want our church to work in and to walk in. It says, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing He promised concerning Him and has appointed Him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on His conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged Himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Again, she's speaking to His destiny. What she's saying is one of your takeaways this morning will be, David, when this is just a story, what kind of story do you want to tell? Years from now, and this season of your life is going to come and go, just like your life and mine, we go through seasons after seasons, and when it's only a story, when you're telling somebody the story about what happened today, what is a story that you want to tell? It's amazing that as she's come in to his life at this moment, when you would have bet everything that in a few minutes all that belonged to Nabal would be gone. You would have never thought anybody could persuade David to do anything else. By speaking into his future hope, all of a sudden it is like somebody rang the bell and ding, he woke up. Because the next verse says, David said to Abigail, Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. Now, see, that's revelation. Because there are some people that we know, excluding present company, 
that sometimes even when the light comes on, there's something called pride that dwells up and goes, well, I'm going to still get him. I know I'm wrong. I didn't until now, but I'm still going to get him. But he says, God sent you to me. May you be blessed for your good judgment. He's saying, I didn't have good judgment at this moment. And for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to me, not one of the males belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. She's intelligent and beautiful. Now watch the rest of the story. Here is a situation that has been really amazingly just developed because of a, a lady that had intelligence and speaking into David's future and hope. Now, now watch this. She goes back home and it says, to just kind of summarize it, Nabal is having, you know, the party and the festival and he's so drunk and he gets, she gets back and, and sees him and I think I'm going to talk to him in the morning. I'm not going to talk to him now. And the Bible says that the next day she tells him what had happened and it says that his heart became like stone and really he probably just had a stroke God. he probably had, he had already knew how tough David and his men were and what could have happened but he was so drunk I, I call it stupid juice you know nobody's going to pass an important test and they say I need to go get liquored up before the test no. I'm having problems with my wife. I better start drinking. That'll make it better. No. It don't happen. The next day, Nabal was sober and his wife tells him. And ten days later, he dies. Now, now listen to this as Paul Harvey of you mature people would know. The rest of the story says, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then I like this part of the story. I just kind of like it. Might be. Yeah. Kind of like it. David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. So his men go down and go, would you like to be his wife? And she goes, you pray about it, I'm going to go pack. <laughs> and it says that she quickly gets on her donkey with her five female attendants and goes to David and they become married and live in the castle on the hill. You do know Jerusalem's on a hill. Anyway. Now listen to this. These points that I want you to make. And then I'll, I'll, I'll begin to circle the airport. And then we'll land the plane and be dismissed. Again. Soon after this. You, after this whole situation, you can see that David has had Nabal return good for evil. 
you see that in this story that the next situation that happens in David's life, really the next chapter, David is presented with a same scenario, the, the same lesson. Except this time that Saul has chased him and, and is getting closer and, and he can feel the breath of the army on his neck. I mean, it, they're close. And David is in a place, just so happens, where Saul comes into a cave to relieve himself and David could kill him. But David chooses not to kill him. And because of that lesson that we know that he says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Now see, a lot of times we go back and we give credit to David because he did have that ability to say, no, I will not do that. But sometimes do we understand that it could be a lesson, a ripple effect that he learned because of Abigail? Do you want that on your conscience, David? And so when he had the opportunity, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll let God fight my battles. Now, now, can you imagine when he goes back to his men that also have to run from Saul? What are you doing? And he starts sing, singing the song, because I don't go on what I see. What? Did you look at me? I don't go on what I feel. I don't go what's been spoken over me. Because why? I know that he's going to be with me. I know my God. And he's going to take care of me. Even though I'm in the middle of all this yuck. God's got a plan for me. Now, now we live in a country that kind of being generous, you could say almost is politically correct. It's a style of our country. And it's kind of a leftover attribute of a Christian nation. But as believers, this morning as part of our church, I'm going to ask you to do something more. Because there's something about uh, being generous and kind of forgiving is, is to have mercy. But, but to winch it up even another notch is to be a blessing and to give grace. Now, now stick with me. Because... Hundreds of years after this story, Jesus will show up on the scene. During David's time, really the Old Covenant, the Old Testament said, an eye for an eye. So really what Abigail and then David would play out in his life was really before, before really. Jesus said, we're going to change this. I'm giving you a New Testament, a New Covenant. Instead of an eye for an eye, he says something that can you imagine the people just like you that are sitting and listening to him and all of a sudden he presents this new principle of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they're, they're going, what? Who was able to do that? And he begins to speak to them and he says, you've heard it said eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not res resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Let them slap that one. If anyone sues you to take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If anyone forces you, which the Romans could do as a, as a soldier, if anyone forces you to go a mile to carry their luggage, just volunteer to go two miles. 
Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus, I only have so much. Borrow from me? I don't really want to loan anybody any money. And Jesus begins to speak to our destiny by design that this is something that again is going to work on you, work on me, and work on me. I said it twice, me. To love our enemies instead of just loving our neighbor. He said, if you love your neighbor, if you love those people that love you, come on, you're knowing better than just the, the pagan or the tax collector. He said, if you do that, what kind of reward are you going to get? Tax collectors do that. And then he has one sentence that all of us, it's almost our choking point. We're all are you serious, Jesus? You want me to do that? Here's the, the statement. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That kind of covers it all, doesn't it? This morning, I, I know as a believer, no matter how long you have traveled in the wrong direction, you can still turn around. So this morning, wherever you are, you say, Pastor, I just haven't done that in my life. Today's the day that we sang the song that we will sing at the beginning of all of the sermons in this series. Today is a new day. Let me tell you, I know it's easy to follow the path of least resistance and return evil for evil. But here's the question. Do you want to be predictable or do you want to be remarkable? Because when you think of Abigail, you say, man, she was remarkable. That she could see before her time. And just like this morning, I took that air freshener and I began to spray it. And everything. <sighs> Have you seen those commercials they used to do with Febreze and they'd blindfold people and they put them in this disgusting area? It might be a fish market, but they've Febrezed it so much that people are going, <sighs> smells like a bouquet of flowers. And then they take their mask off. See, sometimes if we don't realize that we have a responsibility of going into an environment and bettering the environment, we miss it. So let me just wrap this up. Today I'm going to give you three takeaways that you can begin to meditate on. And, and two of them is for everybody. And really the third one is if you're a believer, you don't have an option. The, the first one is this. Do you really want to be even with someone that you don't like? Pastor, if I could just get even, they hurt me so much. Now really what you want to do is you want to pull ahead. And how to pull ahead is to be able to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, sometimes I found out that the older I get, the more comfortable I want to be. And sometimes some young person will say, why don't we stretch and do this? And I go, you know, slow down, slow down, fireball, slow down. And sometimes when we're challenged to do something, if we're not careful, we can be old and say, 
I ain't doing that. Do you really just want to get even or do you want to pull ahead no matter how old you are? The second takeaway is this. When it's only a story to tell, what kind of story do you want to tell? Years from now, when you tell about the story that you're going through in your life, and maybe there's an offense that happened in your life or happening right now, and you know the situation, the person that has done you wrong. When it's only a story, what's a story you want to tell? And the third one is, if you're a believer, everybody can play along. But the third takeaway is, what would it look like in the situation that you're in to return good for evil? When you think about that specific relationship with that boss, that wife, that ex-wife, ex-husband, that prodigal child, whoever it might be in your life, when you look at that specific relationship, what does it look like not to just be passive and just to say, just to say, it's big to say, I forgive them. But what does it look like for you to be proactive and even be a blessing unto them? See, that's our story. And how believers in being part of this church, that our story parallels the story of the cross. That the Bible says, the anointed word of God says that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Now think about that this morning. While we were not lovely, when we had sin in our life, Jesus still said, I'll die for them. And so this morning, I want you to think about it. What does that look like to return good for evil? This morning I want to be challenging to you to get the crud out of your life, the things that choke the Word of God, and replace it with the things of God and the Word of God that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This morning would you just bow your heads just for a few minutes? This morning, if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, it's the most important decision that you will ever make. The reason I know that is because eternity is too long to be wrong. And as you receive Jesus Christ and make Him not only the Savior of your life, but you make a choice to make Him Lord of your life, what you're saying is, God, you're in control. Your word is not a choice for me, but God, it is a decision that I will make. This morning you're here and maybe you say, Pastor, I, I want to receive God into my life. Today, just to say, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I make you Lord and Savior. This morning, if you're here and you're a believer and you might be hearing the message and you say, Pastor, I, I need to make this a new day. Whatever the situation you're in right now, I want to pray and ask you to make a choice that will affect your eternity as a ripple effect throughout your days to come. God has given you a plan for your future. 
It's a good plan if you'll just allow him to act it out in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done. God, all the things that you're doing in our life. Father, help us to become aware of every situation that, God, that we step into that opportunity. God, we know that being poor doesn't always necessarily talk about money, but it is actually passing over opportunities repeatedly. And God, so many times we're poor because, God, we do not take the option that Abigail presented David. And therefore, we we ask ourselves, God, does your word work in my life? And Father, I pray that that's not so in our church. That God, that we take every opportunity to be obedient to your word. In the times that we're not, that we ask for forgiveness, we receive your grace into our life, and then we choose to be followers of you. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.